Okay, let's have a word of prayer, and we will get started tonight. Our Father and our God, we do thank you that tonight as we have gathered together, uh, it's not about uh, some little club or some little common hobby or common interest. What we have is a common Savior, a Savior who has rescued us from ourselves and a Savior who has given us a life worth living no matter what we do. No matter what we accomplish, what we have in Christ gives meaning to everything we do. And so, Father, as we have gathered together tonight, I do pray that you will help us as we consider uh, the continued work of the Great Commission and seeing that it is through community, it is through prayer, that these two things are established by you for the furtherance of the gospel, not some slick plan by man, but through the community of God's people and especially through calling out to you for those who Christ. So, Lord, guide us tonight. Help this time to be profitable and honor you. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right. All right. Bill and Tricia, I have no idea why nobody would sit by you. You guys fix this. You, you fix the cafe community every week. You think you'd be surrounded by it. We ran out of cookies, so that's probably And I saw who ate the last one. Denny Guest ate the last one. I watched him run to get that last one. And I think the coffee pots are rich. I saw Denny, man. He knocked over a little lady. Is there a sign-up sheet this year for cookies? I haven't seen Yes, there is. It's right here. Yeah, funny you should say that. As another fuck. Thank you for that. Segway. All right, now that you guys have used up two of my minutes. Just kidding, we're at 56. Are we, are we doing that? We just right. right now. Are we partnering? Yes. Okay, fine. Okay. Cookies cookies and snacks are way more than important when I'm going to say. Hey, take your time, Bill. No rush. It's the guy who feeds us. I know, that's what I said. I don't mess with him. That's why I like You think it would be sitting around these guys like adoring fans because they do this every week. Unless you want to do it. <laughs> I'd rather just eat the spoils. All right. Since they're recording this, and I hope that they edit this first part of this on the internet, because I never knew that this gets posted on the web. I so yes, please edit this first part. Thank you. All right. Tonight, um, one of the things I wanted to start with as we're looking at this second issue. Second issue is, as I said at the very beginning, uh, this class is not about a system or a plan. Um, historically, in the last 50, 75 years, there have been a lot of plans and a lot of systems. Not that all are equally bad. There are some that are horribly bad, some that are decent, and some that have laid a helpful foundation to give us a tool to feel perhaps comfortable to step into a conversation. That can be good. The danger can be we think that the plan is the key. We think that the system is the key, and that's what we don't want to think. And tonight, especially with this subject, evangelism through community and prayer, it's going to lay out really what I look at as the two most foundational issues in, in, in evangelism. Not what we say, not how we say it necessarily, but that the beauty of our communication in large part shines through us as a community of believers. Um, if, if we are really good at presenting the gospel but really bad at relationships, we have no credibility in the message. We really don't. Because we're telling the world that this relationship through Christ can bring together nations, languages, and peoples from all across the world in a way that nothing else can do. But if we in our church can't get along, if our marriages, our friendships, we're just like letting everybody have it, we have no credibility. So community, as we're going to see it, is huge. 
And, and we cannot even begin to overstate the issue of prayer if we believe what we looked at our very first week, that in the presentation of the gospel, it is John 6. We just took a quick flyover of John 6 where Jesus more than once says it's an initiative of the Father. The Father calls, the Father draws, the Father gives to me, and those that the Father gives to me I will in no wise cast out. So it's not of us, it's not of man, it's all of God. That being true, then obviously prayer is something we can't do without. Prayer isn't a tag on to everything else. Prayer has to lead the way. And, and so even though uh, one hour never does justice to what we have in, this, in these, chap- these issues each week or these chapters, um, I'm going to focus more on the issue of prayer tonight uh, of these two subjects, even though it really deals with both of them. But can I start this way? Um, we didn't get to this discuss this issue last week, so I really wanted to just start with this from you to us. Just curious, and, and this is like quick answers. This is not like, please don't give me a 10-minute testimony or else we're dead, all right? This is just a real simple question. Who played a major role in your salvation and how? In other words, was it a friend? Was it a family member? Was it somebody at work? Who was that person? And just a real simple, how did that come about? And we don't have to do everybody, just whoever wants to volunteer, share. Jenny. I can say that uh, when I was working with Bob Fight, he really inspired me in a lot of ways in how he interacted in really tough situations and how he just maintained his witness and and just, you know, that you could you could tell that there there was something different about this person, that, that they really had something, you know. And, and that was helpful. And when, so when he recommended community to me, I thought, well, you know, I should give it a shot because, you know, and so that helped me, you know, he, he helped me grow. So, yeah, so, you could tell that he lived differently. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is exactly what we're talking about. We, there are people who are great communicators and have all the right answers, but if we are not living in such a way that something is being said by our life before we say with our mouth, we, we can potentially betray what we're going to say to people. So good, thank you. Anybody else? Yes, Jane. Um, our high school baseball coach at Huron High School, when I was a freshman, um, was a Christian, and he, he uh, there were some kids that went to that. I didn't know about the, the Bible study, but these kids befriended me, and these were upperclassmen, and they were taking time with a freshman. And that was just unheard of, and they were treating me nice, and they were just nice, and invited me to, to eat lunch with them one day, and lo and behold, when I went to lunch, it was a Bible study in a public high school, here in high school, and I was our high school baseball coach there, and it just, because they were untypically kind to an underclassman, so that made a big impact. Interesting. Which is what... The gospel in the book of Acts does. It turns the world. The, the, the people that said it against Paul and his missionary party, they said, these men have come and turned the world upside down. Quite honestly, if we're looking at it biblically, they've really turned the world right side up. The world's already upside down. But you're seeing teens who, in their testimony with this teacher leading them, were turned the world right side up. And, and that looks very unusual to an upside down world. Very good. Anybody else? Can you just... Let me just do this to ask you very simply. How many of you um, were saved as a result of somebody coming door-to-door sharing the gospel with you? Anybody like that? 
Okay, kind of, sort of. Well, it, it, it was Saturday morning knocking on doors. Okay. But I didn't get saved at that moment. Okay. But that's what brought me. That's what got you started. Okay. How many of you uh, were saved as a result of some special event at a church? You were invited to a special event, all right? Okay, you as well, all right? The reason I ask that is because most often, if we would have had time to go all around the room and really go all around community, most often, I mean, an incredibly high percentage of people who come to faith in Christ are not because of big events, are, and that's not to say we shouldn't have them. Sometimes that is the foot in the door to reach them. It's not because somebody went knocking on the door. It's most often because of the relationship with somebody who lived a, a right-side-up life to an upside-down world. And, and, and that's what at least caught their attention and gave that person a measure of credibility then. So when they did open their mouth about church or the gospel, suddenly then for that person, uh, they're like, hey, I do want to find out about this because you're responding differently than somebody I've seen before. Um, so obviously, that's a good thing, but it's a dangerous thing because as, as, as I've said in previous weeks, there's nothing more frustrating than somebody in a working environment who claims to be a Christian and sometimes could be the worst reputation in the group rather than the best reputation. So that can, that can be a double-edged sword both ways, all right? That being said, I go to the second thing, which I said I want to do every week. I'll read it rather than asking you to read it. I want at the end of our, at the end of this semester, looking at evangelism, to never forget these verses. To just have it so that you keep thinking, if I'm going to remember anything from this class, please remember what Paul said and what he begged this church in Colossae to pray. He tells them, as a church, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. Pray what? Pray that God may open to us a door. And that is, I'm not the one kicking the door in. I am the one praying that God would, in His time and His way with His people, open the right door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear. All right? That doesn't mean that Paul is praying you've got to have a slick system. Again, having a clear understanding of the gospel is important. And it doesn't mean, and I, as I, if you read through the article, uh, he said in praying, he said that Paul prayed because he struggled to make it clear. I don't know if I can use the word struggle, that Paul struggled. Paul realized, remember, he, is going, he was going to different cities that had different cultures, different people in different ways. So he needed to make it clear given his audience. I don't think that he struggled with it because he wrote most of it uh, under the inspiration of Scripture. But we walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time that God gives us, and letting our speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. God in His grace, that the people He's put in your life at times will open doors that if our life and our speech has been walked in wisdom and with grace, then suddenly that door can be opened by God, and all we have to say is, God help me to make it clear. Now, we're going to talk about some other things to pray that's in our, our article that we've already alluded to, and we're going to see them in the scriptures as well. All right, so bumping on into the grasping the issue on page 2.1. So I'm assuming you're there. 2.1, evangelism through community and prayer. And again, I'm not going to read all these things because I don't like to do that. I'm assuming you've read some of it, but I don't want to read all of it. Let me just start with the opening paragraph and hit through a couple dots down the page. 
It says, foundational to all evangelism is the love of God, particularly as it's expressed through the community of the church. Throughout Scripture, we see that God works through groups of people who model and proclaim His message of reconciliation. One way in which we model God's love to the faith love is to faithfully and persistently pray for one another and for those who do not yet know Christ. So we are talking about modeling and proclaiming and undergirding that is a ministry of prayer. All right, that's where we're going tonight. Now let me just, for sake of time, there's two bullets I just want to hit for a moment. It says we're going to, in this, in this uh, issue, in this chapter, we're going to explore the, explore the role of community in reaching the lost. Let me just pause to say, why would the emphasis, and if you've read part of the article, you know part of the reason, but why would the role of community be important, and, and how has that not been... At, this is getting complicated. This is like two questions in one. Let me back that up. All right. Um, when it's talking about the community in reaching the lost, why is the focus on that rather than the individual? Even though that question is a little easier to answer, still not an easy answer. Maybe. Let me just let me just say that by saying this. See, we've gone through a system in, in our churches for years of training soul winners, and the emphasis is on individual skills and individually training you. Now, that's not bad. Again, I don't want you to walk out of here going, "He's totally against training people and teaching people a system." I'm not. But the, the danger, and we're going to go into, and I think they make a great case that we'll talk about in just a moment here, about why community is important. When Jesus said, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men, and all of us that grew up at church go, I will make you fishers of men. We were singing the song. The rest of you are like, Who am I? what is that song? All right? It's a song I learned as a kid. I will make you fishers of men. Here's what our book says, and it, and it highlights this. When we think of fishing, this is how I think of it in 21st century life. I think of a fishing pole in a boat or on a pier or down at Bishop Park or whatever, just fishing away with a fishing pole. That's not what Jesus' audience was thinking. Not at all. Not even remotely. They were thinking of fishermen with a net who worked together to gather the fish. That's the picture they had in mind, but we've taken our thinking of fishing. Now, if I was in China, where we lived in our city in Qingdao, that was a coastal city, and the part, part of where we live, every day, if you went through this one area of town, it smelled really fishy because during the day, they're mending their nets, getting ready for the next day, and there's fish everywhere, all right? But it was working together to gather the, the fish, not one person just reeling in one at a time. So that's part of the issue. Now, it says that we want to brainstorm ways, that third bullet point down, brainstorm ways in which we can more effectively expose non-believers to the love of God as expressed through the church. And I, I found myself pausing on that going, that might be a really good thing for our church to do sometime, is literally just to sit down and say, we need to do that. Um, not to say that we come up with, oh, these are the ten things that are going to make the difference this year at community. If we think that way, then we've already missed the point. Uh, the most important thing we can do is pray. But there may be ways that our bridges for the gospel, relational, redemptive relation bridges, that we can do that. Now, I start by going into the issue of community, then we're going to jump to the issue of prayer and stay in the issue of prayer tonight. In grasp the issue, if you look down at the sound bites, and I'm just going to skip through the questions because you can read the questions. 
Um, when you go to the sound bites, it says in the second sound bite, the biggest problem with the church is that it's full of hypocrites and gossips. And all God's people said? Amen. Yeah, and maybe that's one of those ones where you say like, oh me, you know, like here these guys going and something bad is said. Instead of saying amen, they're like, oh me, you know, like something's really bad. Yeah, unfortunately, it can be. And unfortunately, that can be you, that can be me. Um, we can, even under the guise of, you know, we need to pray for so-and-so, and here's why. Well, you know what, that was just a really slick way of going right into gossip boat. You weren't caring about praying, you know. But that's what unbelievers say oftentimes is the reason I don't go to church is because they're a bunch of gossips and they're also a bunch of hypocrites. Well, yes, you know, we can be honest about that. But when I think of community, here's a question that I asked was in your homework. If that statement is true, and we've all said, okay, yeah, it is, what impact would this issue of gossips and hypocrites have on us as a community? I mean, what, what should that say to us then if somebody challenges us in this area? What do we need to think about that? They need to know God, absolutely. But I'm, I'm looking more from the standpoint of us. You know, what, what does that remind us then? The world is watching us. Okay, the world is watching every bit of what we do. I mean, and honestly, we can find ourselves carelessly talking about somebody, talking with somebody at work about somebody at church, or talking with somebody at work about somebody else. Well, just understand, if we do that, they're going to assume that that's what we do in church, too. Um, or that they're... Admittedly, our co-workers and our family who are unbelievers are watching for us to mess up in any possible way that they can because this will give credibility to that statement in their mind and it will give no credibility to us as a community. So as a community, we are trying to guard one another. That's why Hebrews says we need to every day, Hebrews chapter 2, every day we are watching out for one another so that we don't slip into a pattern of unbelief and fall away. That doesn't mean we lose our salvation. We are guarding each other, not just to protect the perseverance of our faith, but to protect the testimony of the body of Christ. Because we are people's first view of Jesus Christ before they see the Word in Scripture. Um, most often they see us before they see the Word. And even if they see the Word, they don't get the Word but they might get a difference, like has been said here tonight from folks in this class. All right? Now, let's skip through. We're going to skip through Kirsten's case study just for sake of time because I want to make sure I stay in the Scriptures. We didn't get as far as I wanted to last week. So let's hit the four Scriptures and see if we can answer some of these questions. Um, if this is one of those... I know Wednesdays are the rough day. So when I ask a question, it's like, it's like I said before, it's fun to just watch people's face. It's just interesting, all right? Because I understand. Wednesday, if I wasn't talking, I would be sleeping, all right? So it helps, it helps me and the person talking. John chapter 17. John 17, I've alluded to before. It's a great, great prayer to study from the life of Jesus Christ. Um, it is one of those prayers that is good to read and reread and think and rethink and say, God, help me to see what was Jesus saying that is so different from the way I pray? So different from the way I think. Now, obviously, there are some things that Jesus said that we could not say. I did not have glory with the Father before the world was. I can't say that. 
but there are many things that Jesus prayed that we can pray that we ought to think the same way. Well, here's what he prayed for his disciples. He was praying specifically at one point in his, in his prayer for the disciples, the 12 apostles, 12 disciples. And he says this in verse 20, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He, in this moment, was praying for you and me. And that prayer, we were included in that prayer. It was the passing on of the truth, of the truth from the apostles to the early church, the early church spreading the gospel west, is it west? Yeah, west around the world. And part of the movement in China, there has been uh, back 20 years or so ago, and I don't know if it's still going, but there was what's called a the back, back to Jerusalem movement in China where they were, and I think still are, on pockets of western China, training Chinese in Arabic for them to take the gospel through these Arab countries that are unreached to continue to move the gospel east and finally get it back to Jerusalem because it went west from Jerusalem. So that is part of what God is praying for, what Jesus was praying for here. But here's what we want to catch when he prayed this for these who believe in that message. Verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Honestly, perhaps if you read those verses, you might say, it sounds like he said the same thing over and over. But he, he did and he didn't. You have to think through it. But there was one thing, and this is one of our questions. What was Jesus' main request? How many times did he repeat it? What was the main thing that you heard from that prayer and that, that portion of the prayer? Unity. Okay, unity. And how did he say it besides the word that we may be in complete unity? He also said it in another way. Okay, that we may be one. Okay, he said this, he prayed for this, so here is the harder question to answer. Why? Why was Jesus praying to that end? Why did he talk about and, and Jesus was was going to be stoned in John chapter eight, where he said, I and the Father are one, and he said, Why are you going to stone me for all these works? He said well, when you said that you and the Father, you were being the Son of God, you're making yourself equal with God. So he and the Father are one, but he's saying, I am praying for those who will believe that they will also be one. Well, that doesn't mean we're going to be equal with them, but we will be relationally unified. All right? Why is that important? Why did he pray that for us, and particularly then for the early church? Why is that so important? He must have been saying it was a priority moving okay. forward. Okay. It's a priority that the world would know what's that? That the world would know that we are his children. Okay. Okay. Very good. Let's take those two together. Bill? That the world would know that he was sent by God to, you know, to, to, to save us. Okay. So, let's just go ahead. Jenny? Well, also, just as as a community, if we're, if we're divided and if we have different viewpoints, not, not only can we not survive... And, and, you know, there probably wouldn't be Christians today, but, well, I mean, but, um, but also, if we are supposed to be representing Christ and, and representing Jesus, then we, we can't do that 
if we're all doing if we're all doing our own thing and doing different things. If it's all if we're all from this one source and we're all supposed to be reflecting this one source, we can't be. Okay, so we're seen as a priority. And here's here's where if I could bring Bob in here, he's the the history expert. One question I would ask, and I'll come back to you in just a moment, Eugene. Um, if I was to ask a history teacher, what is most of history about? And this is like a broad question, it has a potential to be the wrong answer, so don't worry if you think you get the wrong answer. When we look through most of history, all throughout the history of man, what do we keep seeing over and over and over and over and over again? War. War. Nations conquering nations, people at odds with one another. That's all the history seems to be about. You know, Alexander the Great, Hitler, and all the other guys in between, it's always about subjugation, war, conquering. People can't get along. Now you've got a Savior who comes, and Paul, as he details out the Gospel, says he came so that whether Gentile, Jew, whoever you are, I'm going to bring you together as one, so that at the end of time in the book of Revelation, all nations, people, language, tongues, all of them will bow as one. I mean, that's the beauty of it, that only Christ is going to make possible complete unity and complete oneness. Only God can do that. Man will try. Man will try to bring together their nation as one, but once that one leader dies and you get in a weak leader or a self-serving leader, it just goes to pop really quick. All right. So that is part of what he's praying for. He's praying that this is a priority. This is something that in the early church, even, even down to potentially why... I mean, I, I've wrestled with why did God kill Ananias and Sapphira? Because we here's where we're going to think of that in terms of all they did was lie. Okay, now that sounds really bad because it's not like, yeah, they lied. But let's just be honest. Okay? How many times have we... Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how is it that we have fudged things a bit and said things a certain way and we're still alive today? Well, I think in part, you know, it can be that early church, remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The early church is built on truth. If lies infect it, man, it's just like there's no credibility to that early church and beyond. But also the unity is tied to truth. It's not simply tied to relationships. It's relationship built on truth. When the truth is violated, it breaks unity. When they lied, they were breaking that the they were breaking the glue apart. They were melting the glue that was holding the church together, essentially. Now, praise God, He doesn't do that all the time. Are there been people that have died because of that? Perhaps First Corinthians 11 says some people have slept because of whatever they've done in the church. That's possible. Eugene, you're going to say something. I was just going to say that there's strength in numbers. The larger numbers, people have it. You know, people have a time and. They have to release each other, just as is, is when they lied about their giving or whatever. So it's giving in numbers and that tends to release each other. Make sure that everybody is focusing on the same thing. Yeah, and so when Jesus is praying that they will be one in this prayer, he's also going to say, Sanctify them through what? Your word, the truth. Your word is truth. He's going to say what's going to set them apart but yet keep them together is the truth 
So I pray for them that that word will go to them, but that word will bring them together, make them one, because then they will have credibility, and then they will be the right-side-up people in community that give people a reason to take a second look and go, why are you doing that for me? Why did you say that to me? Why are you reaching out to me? Why do you care about me? See, the problem I've had with the systems of evangelism has been we, we almost treat people like, like I said, early, three weeks early on, like a Kirby sales or a shoe salesman, all right? And that is, I'm, I'm just making the sale, you know? When we're looking very clearly that the heart of the gospel is community, is relationship, is the love we have for one another, and that love starts with others as well, all right? So John 17, here's a second question, and I, I already kind of answered it, so I'll just answer it partly. The third, I'm sorry, the third question at the top of page 2.3 in connection with John 17, it says, Why is genuine community such a powerful reflection of God's love to the world? And I really took two words in my mind thinking it through. The word history, which I've alluded to, and that is history is the, stories of, the story of man's inability to get along together. All right, That's what history really is. Christianity is the story, and this is just what I wrote down for my answer, is the story of God's uniting of all nations, people, and tribes. That's what Christianity is. It's doing what man can never do. Uh, and so genuine community, not just in name of the church, but in relationship and outside of it with our families, with our friends, whatever, um, that gives credibility to how we say what we say. All right? Any other comments? I know I thought I saw another hand at some point. Any other comments before we move on to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. No problem. I guess one of the things I thought about most here was in our society right now, it's kind of doggy dog. I mean, everybody's out for themselves. Mm -hmm. If the if and that's what the world does. So if the Christians are united together, we break that mold. Absolutely. And then and then if, if we don't break that mold, we're just like everybody else. Yes. And so that being said, that's why I've just got to go to this and have us read this because he said it better than I said. Go to page 2.9, all right? 2.9. Bottom right column. Right column down at the bottom, last paragraph. And it's talking about the picture of fishing. Okay? I just, I wanted to read this. He says, uh, second full sentence. He says, I'm thinking of the image of evangelism as fishing for the lost. Too often we only have stressed the single fisherman with his pole. There is certainly a place for him, but there is a danger that the lone angler concept will place undue emphasis on witnessing skills, techniques, and special gifts, discouraging Christians who lack these distinctive features. In other words, it's not about... It's beautiful music. <laughs> it's all good. I thought the angels were coming. Really. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> all right. It's it's all when we talk about our community and reaching people. It is it's driving home that fact that we are as as a whole, as a group, not trying to live like our 21st century American culture. That is one of the unique things about life in China. And I admit, they are what you call a warm what do they call it? warm something culture or we're a cold culture, and that is a cold culture and cultural terminology are people that are more individualistic rather than community-minded. Chinese people are community-minded to a fault. In other words, 
what everybody says must be the right answer. We don't even think about it because everybody for 20 years or 25 years has said it, so it must be true. Even if it's hokey, it's still true because everybody says it. So it makes it easy then, and, and a hard sell, this is a huge hard sell in China, to have the concept of membership in the church. Now, admittedly, the subject of membership is a little tricky to show all the details from Scripture, but their tension was, but that means we're going to potentially exclude some people from our church. And I'm like, no, not really. We're just simply saying in membership, biblically, we're identifying those who are truly a child of God by their profession of faith and their willingness to submit to baptism. That's how we identify them. But because their mindset was to be so community-minded, include everybody, nobody should be excluded, that was, I remember in a house church I was at, uh, one young man after the house church pastor I was working with had taught on this because we had talked about it, one young man, which did what a lot of these young uh, believers did in Chinese churches, started pulling people aside in the back, and went, 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 left the church, never came back, and dragged people off with him because he didn't agree with that, all right? Because it was so ingrained in them to be community. In America, we're just the opposite. It's so ingrained in us to be individuals. It's all about me and about my success and my making sure that everything is going my way, all right? So the scripture is going to inform us and pull us to say, you're not out there fishing by yourself. It is more peaceful. It is more enjoyable. It is more recreational to fish by yourself. All right? Because nobody's bugging you. You can put your music on and just drown everybody out. But the picture Jesus was saying, get on the net, hold on to the net, we're pulling the fish in, and we're in this together. If no fish come, we get out there and do it again. And we keep doing it, but we're doing it together. So it is a united testimony. So yes... That is a challenge, is our individualistic nature in America. That is a huge challenge for us. Huge, huge challenge. Because we're more comfortable with that. Because that's what we're droned into our head. I mean, watch the Super Bowl ads. Well, not all. Some are really stupid. Not even bother. Just any ad. I mean, just burger ads. Any ad is about, if you listen carefully, not just brain-dead listening, but listen carefully, there's always a twist of the individual or it's about you kind of thing. And it's not about community then. And it has to be just the opposite for us. That segues into 1 Peter 2.9. Why did Peter say what he did here? He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I did ask you to try to answer the third question, which wasn't, I don't think, a hard question. Um, from this one verse, according to Peter, why has God brought us into this privileged relationship and condition? Why has he brought us into this for a child of God? What does verse 9 say? What is the reason? Okay, and I'll give you a hint. Uh, whenever you see in English, oftentimes translated in English in your Bibles, the word that, particularly in the New Testament, it's introducing from the words that were used of Jesus' day a word that means purpose. So whenever you have that, often it's translating a particular word that gives a purpose. So here Peter is saying that, you got that word that there, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. How are you going to do that? How are we going to do that? By being the best individuals we can possibly be out there. And it's like, now, Because everything he described there, he says, you're a chosen people. It's a group. You're a royal priesthood. It's a group. 
You're a holy nation. It's a group. You're a people belonging to God. It's a group. So again, it's emphasizing not the individual blessing that we have of these things. It's emphasizing the community aspect, the corporate aspect, that we are these things together. These are the things we rejoice in together, but it's these things together that then is what informs how we reach out, that we do this, yes, in part individually. I mean, this is why um, when, when we take that picture of Jesus saying, you are the light of the world, uh, oftentimes churches have said, you know, our church is a lighthouse. And I would say yes, but too often we've taken that picture as that building. You know, our church in the community is the lighthouse. And yeah, if it happens to be like the Crystal Cathedral out in California and it's got all this glass and lights and stuff, yeah, it's pretty impressive going by it. But that really wasn't the picture because when Jesus was preaching that sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, um, and I had the opportunity 25 years ago, uh, on that mountain, down looking where Capernaum used to be, and that whole lake, the Sea of well, Lake, Sea of Galilee, um, you had communities all around those, that mountainside that didn't have lights like this, and they were spotted with lights at night that were fires, lanterns, whatever the case may be, a small oil lamp, whatever the case may be. They were dotted around that dark place. That's the same thing with us. Yes, when we come together, we're like a big floodlight here on Sunday, quite frankly. But most often, we are a light out there where God has put us to then bring people, if I can put it this way without sounding like a goofy movie, bring people from that little light to the larger light of the body of Christ. So, again, even in what Peter said, we've often taken this verse and not noticed that every description, every one of these four descriptions... We're not individualistic. They are a group. We are into the chosen people, the priesthood, the holy nation, and a people belonging to God so that, here's the that, we can declare the praises of God. Now, down to Ephesians 6, and this is a great passage. This is a great passage because it gives encouragement to those of us who think, I'm not good at talking with people. I don't always know what to say, quite frankly, as I confessed in there first week or so, I said, uh, how many times in my early days of going door to door back in the day that I was happy when they didn't answer the door and I could just chuck the track in the door and go, I'll pray for this person that they'll read this track and God will do something because that's the easy way. It's like I said, it's like pulling this, pulling the uh, pin out of the grenade and throwing it and running and hoping that it blows up at the right time. Well, here's what Paul says, and this is staggering to read what he says. Pray also for me. So he's asking another church. This is the second church that he's asked to pray for him while he's in prison. All right. So he wrote this book, or this letter to the Ephesian church and the Colossian church while in prison. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I may I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Some of your translations will say boldly. All right? Fearlessly, boldly, same idea. Now, why does that strike us as odd that Paul says, pray this for me? Because we think he's the great apostle. Are you kidding me? I mean, honestly, going, spending time in China, which really wasn't very long, I look at what we were trying to do in the eight years we were there, and then I look at what the apostle Paul did in three years. 
three years, when you look at the geographical area that he covered in his first missionary journey and the amount of churches he planted in that first missionary journey in the opposition, it's mind-boggling. And understand, though, he didn't do like we have done in our churches today. We think a church planted is the church has a building, they've got structure, they've got all this stuff, and it's all done. They've got programs, they've got everything for kids, families, and everything else, and that church is all set. He didn't. I mean, he was winning people to the Lord, taking the gospel. Once there was a body of believers, he moved on. He left them to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. But before he went on a second missionary journey, the first thing he did was to go back and revisit those churches, confirming them and establishing them with elders, those who had grown up now, matured in the faith, who perhaps were being called up by God to be those churches. All right? So all that sounds like, wow. But then he says, pray for me that I'm going to be bold. So obviously when we ask the question, here's a question I asked you to answer on page 2.4 at the top. It says, what encouragement can you gain from the fact that even Paul struggled at times with courage? So what encouragement can you get? It's like a no-brainer, I guess. It's like, okay, yeah, go ahead, folks, please. Something that, that I have difficulty wrapping my mind around on a daily actual digging into life basis, but it is a truth that I, that I, I feel like I've at least grasped the verbalization of it, is that I have the same tools that giants of faith have at my disposal that doesn't I'm not talking about gifts but I'm talking about we we all have the same God we all have the same Savior and the same salvation we all have whatever it is that God wants us to do he's promised to give us the tools to do it we have it we already have it we may not use it the way we need to but we have it Paul had what God wanted him to have for the task that he laid before him, and for each one of us, it's the same thing. So we have it, and we sometimes shrink from it because we don't feel adequately prepared. I get that sometimes. But um, when Jesus sent his disciples out, we can say, well, they spent three years with him, so they had it all figured out. Well, um, Leading up to the day before, I mean, right up to the days before he was crucified, they still didn't get it. They really didn't. I mean, there's a lot of part where they didn't get. And 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 they didn't have Paul's letters to inform them of all the theology that they need to think about the church, the gospel, and everything else. So they just went with what they had. And and so my point in saying that is that doesn't mean then we have to have gone through a, a strong Bible Institute program or a Bible college or a seminary in order to do it. We just do it like what you just said, Phyllis, and that is God's given us the gospel. We've, we, it has been enough to inform us and in how we need to think. Oh, I haven't even begun to click, click through these. All we need to think, all right? And it doesn't, and, and honestly, when we get to the subject talking about prayer in this article that we've read, it's talking about the fact that sometimes the best things that happen is when we feel like we've muffed it up. And we walk away going, well, that was really bad. And little do we know that God loves to use us when we muff it up. Why? Why does he love to use it when we muff it up? Because he gets the glory. Yeah, 
absolutely. I mean, there's no, I mean, I'll never forget. You know, in my days in preaching when I was in Maryland as a pastor, you know, you get those attaboy, and usually from, from the, like I think Pastor Ken said, it's like from the old ladies that have hearing aids. It's like, well, that's really encouraging. You're saying it was a really good sermon, and you probably heard it less than anybody else in the service. So that's not really encouraging, you know, right? All right, but then there are times that I can remember just walking away going, that was the worst thing. It's like, I mean, halfway through the sermon, you're mentally melting down, going, this is going really badly. And you'll walk away, and somebody says, wow, that was such a great blessing. Well, that's the good humbling that God does. Because when you think you got your sermon all slick and packaged and going to go well, um, that's the one that may be like the Scud missile from the 1991 Desert Storm, right? We had the Patriot missiles, and they had the Scud missiles. With the thing like Scud, it sounds like it's going to be a bad missile, all right? And same thing with the gospel. When we're sharing the gospel, we start with the simplicity of it isn't of me or my ability. It's of God. And if I start to think that how I deliver it and knowing all the right stuff, then I've already started to jump away from the Great Commission. Because Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the age. It is His presence with us, making disciples through His power that's what's going to happen. And that's where we're trying to go. I'm not going to look at Colossians 4, 2 through 4 that's on here because we've been talking through that and we'll just keep hitting it from time to time. So let's go to consult other sources. And I just chose the one article that I encourage you to, to read. It says, where do we begin and for what are we to pray? And I'm just going to hit a couple of things here and then we will wrap things up tonight. When my, when my timer goes off, then we'll pray and we'll be done. All right. He asked just two questions. Where do we begin and for what are we to pray? And this article obviously is about the subject of prayer. It's not about community. The second one, Joy of Community, um, is focusing on community. But I wanted to focus on prayer because um, if there's anything that I want us to walk away, and I say us to walk away at the end of this course come May when we finish up, is if we are not praying, um, we really are not expecting anything to happen. Uh, we may think something will happen. You know, We're inviting people to come to the Living Last Supper. Uh, we're inviting children to come to VBS. We're inviting somebody to come to this picnic to get to know people in the community. Those are all good things. But if we aren't praying, we aren't uh, recognizing that if we say we believe it's all of God, then it's got to, it needs to go to God to do the things that only God can do. Open a door for the Word. Help me to make it clear. Help me to be bold and consistently bold, even when I don't feel bold. All right, that's where we wanted to go. So, where do we begin? Well, if you look down in that first paragraph under that question, where do we begin? The last long sentence of that paragraph it says this: "The truth is that we are unprepared and inadequate when it comes to doing evangelism. Furthermore, we are all incapable of converting anyone." Okay, that's what I've been beating the drum on for the last few weeks. I'll just keep beating that drum. Okay, if that's true, then here's the recognition we've got to come to. And, and, and in this article, I won't take time to read it all because you know these verses, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. Paul is saying, here's this church. It, it, and, and this is, honestly, I asked a couple weeks back, how many of you know, have, have heard of the publication, The Sword of the Lord? And I was like, nobody. All right, that was an old time, yeah, handful, handful of us oldies that know this. It's a ridiculous publication. 
It was a ridiculous publication because it was highlighting churches and highlighting ministries that were the number one soul-winning church, that had, had, had the most baptisms the last month. This, this church is like the rock star church in America. And these are all these churches, you know. Well, that happened with Paul. There's people saying, hey, we were saved by Apollos, and Paul did it, and Peter, and all this kind of stuff. And he's, he takes this to say very clearly, at best, and I think in, in, I think later on it talks about being, maybe I'm thinking of next week's lesson, talks about being crop dusters, all right? You know, we're, we're not making the stuff germinate. We're not making it grow. At best, we might plant the seed, we might water the seed, or we're just the dude in the plane, crop dusting, we're flying over, and we're hoping something good's going to happen because God is the one that's going to make it germinate. God is the one that's going to bring life to that. And, and so that being said, We've got to then, down at the bottom of page 2.5, or I'm sorry, down at the top right corner of that second column, the right column, uh, it's easy for me to find it because I've got it circled and highlighted. It's harder for you to find. Right above the word prayer, it starts with this question. That last, uh, two, last two sentences, a question and an answer right before the word prayer. Where do we begin in our calling to be evangelists? We begin with a proper sense of humility about our role and about our fitness for the task ahead. And that humility should lead us to prayer. All right. In other words, now you see, and I, I guess it sounds like I'm a broken record and you're like, hit the needle so it keeps moving. All right. Um, that's why I keep saying it's not about a plan, a system, a program. It's the humility to realize that even the best package program could be an arrogant way for us to depend upon ourselves to win the lost rather than depend upon God. The humility of we are incapable of converting anybody then should lead us to prayer. So then they ask these questions where we begin. We start with that humility that leads us to prayer. Okay? And then it goes through and he talks about the different groups of people that we are reaching out to pray for. And obviously, it's hitting those that are the people that we already love. He mentions that. Our family. Why? Let me ask you this. If somebody comes to you and says this, all right, I have tried to reach my family members. They won't listen to me. I've tried everything. I've tried to share the gospel. i tried to do it, and they just push me away, push me away, push me away. I'll sit down. I'm that person asking you, what advice would you give me if, some, if I said that to you? All right, I have family members who are just rejecting the gospel. They they don't want to hear it. They turn their nose up. They're like, hey, if you're going to come to the family reunion, I don't want this church stuff being talked about. It's ridiculous. Just have fun. You're, you're, you're killing the fun of the family stuff. What advice might you give to me if I ask that question? What do I do? And you're like, okay. Can't give the right answer because <laughs> okay. Said Gene said I should pray for them. Alright. Okay. Praying for them. What else? Anything else to add to that? I mean like they're 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 sharing answers. They're consulting. Okay, go ahead. Just do it. <laughs> well yeah, pray and 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 let them know that you're praying for them and then just trust God's will. Okay. Because that's all you can do. Okay. So you are leaving them in God's hands and you're bringing them to God. All right? So that's the prayer component. Any other components somebody want to add to that? Anything else? I just encourage them to just continue to be faithful, sharing it whenever they have 
the opportunity. Okay. We have an example in our family of someone that just continues to witness to a very adamant agnostic in the family. She's just faithful, faithful, faithful. Okay. So she's making a good point. She's telling me, don't just pray and be passive because prayer can be an excuse to not do anything. All right. Uh, but we don't want to pray and push. All right. Because pray and push can go bad on us. All right. Somebody else had a hand or was saying something? Yeah, Phyllis. Keep our eyes open for opportunities to look. Good. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's really the, I'm, I'm, throw, I'm looking for those answers, and you gave me all the right answers that I was hoping you'd give me. And I, this is the preacher side of me, because it's easy to remember things if they're alliterating, all right? If I can remember, and I gave this, I've given this advice so many times. You have people, and I remember when I was a freshman in college, um, students going away at Christmas, one of our Bible teachers, they say, they come up to him and say, hey, would you pray for me? pray that I'd have an opportunity to reach my family with the gospel. He said, well, I'm going to pray that you will have opportunities to demonstrate your faith to your family and through that have an opportunity. In other words, what I want to encourage people to, to do is to pray for your family and by God's grace to pattern your faith as best you can. If you do that, perhaps God will then open the door by patterning our faith, by loving them, even if they are knuckleheads and they find everything possible wrong with us that is even remotely wrong with us, you're just as sweet as apple pie, all right? And that's hard. Matter of fact, sometimes that's impossible, but that's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is God at work in us to respond in a way that's unnatural, that then supernaturally opens the door for the work. Phyllis, something else? Do you, do you I wonder sometimes if God wants to hug us and strangle us at the same time. Because that's how I feel when people I love are so just clueless and just so determined to, to just self-destruct. Mm -hmm. And she's not talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> You sisters have something we need to straighten up here. <laughs> but but here's 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 what's what's hard for us. What's hard for us is we forget that because we've been saved for X amount of months, years, whatever. We forget that if they're an unbeliever, they're consistently doing what an unbeliever does. It's just that we don't like that anymore, and we don't want that anymore, and so we have a hard time living with that. And in, and in a sense, we want to do the clean the fish before we catch it rather than catch the fish and let the Word of God clean it, all right? And so, yes, we are looking for opportunities to demonstrate love, demonstrate grace, dem demonstrate uh, a, a willingness to forget myself in this moment, even though you're just letting me have it for whatever reason, and then saying, God, because of that response, help me to respond well so that you will open the door of the Word. Rather than me, you know, being walking in there and I'm going to wear my Jesus Loves You t-shirt to the family reunion with John 3.16 on the back. You know, all right, is there anything inherently wrong with that? No. But you know that that's an in-the-face thing with your family. So let's not try to push that door open. Let's let God open that door. Do you have something? I saw your hand move. No. Oh, I was just thinking Jenny does a little more than she thinks because another thing that Jenny does is she tries to enlist other people to help. Hey, Bob, call my dad and see if he wants to go shooting with you. That'd be really cool if my dad took me with you tomorrow. 
Absolutely. So she works at enlist. Hey, will you sit by my mom at this lady's tea? Because she's really nervous. But that's community, though, though too. Exactly. But, but you're engaging all other fish, people that help you with your family. I have, I have you do that, that all the time. <laughs> 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 a lot of fishermen. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what we do. Because if we find somebody in the community of believers here at this church that maybe has a common interest that I don't have, my father, mother, brother, sister, or whatever does, they might be the best person to reach them. We might be the worst person to try to reach our own family. That's not to say we just give it up. It does mean we pray, we pattern it. If God opens a door, He may not open that door through us. He may, and quite often, many times, doesn't open the door through us. He opens it through somebody else. All right, But we can keep that door slammed shut by trying to push it in their face, by trying to bust them with it, and just letting them have it, or just trying to make them look silly by how we respond, all right? Um, if we do the holier than thou with the family, dude, we are done. Uh, it's, it's over. Um, it, it doesn't matter if we've been praying and fasting and on our knees all week. If we do that, we're done. Um, because we aren't, in and of ourselves, holier than them. We have a holiness given to us that is Christ's, but our nature, we're still struggling with sin just like they are, just that ours has been forgiven and there's a, a righteousness put on our account that makes us different. All right, That's the huge transformation. All right, second thing we said, the second circle that they said we're praying for is those whom God providentially places in our lives at work or school or college. Now, there's on page 2.6, all right? And this is where we have one and a half minutes left, all right? I ask a question here that I just will ask this question and end with this answer. Um, well, let me just backtrack that a little bit. It's talking about the next circle of prayer. I had those circles when we started out in our first week in this class, circles of, of influence in our lives. You know, let's kind of end with this question. It's a practical question. It's not in our notes, not in here. Um, just to ask you to think. On the community side, I, I can guilt us really easily on the prayer side, all right? And I hope that the scriptures and this article will not guilt us, but motivate us. Motivate us to remember to pray. But here's what I do ask. I do ask us to think, us, me, you, all of us to think. In regard to community, in regard to my life, in regard to your life, can you think of something right now or some things right now that you know that your family or co-workers, or somebody at the church, or spouse, or close friend, or you can even acknowledge right now, you already know this. There is something that makes you less community-like in how you live. In other words, somebody's been saying, you do, you do this, or you do this, or you act this way, or you act this way. Stop and think, is there anything that you can pinpoint from what somebody has said, what you've heard, or something from Scripture that you've read? that pinpoints something in your life right now that would work against community. That means class is done. And I, I just ask that because we can pray, but again, it, it, it goes to, in our community, when we walk out into those circle of friends or family, our prayers are done. That doesn't mean we can't pray for them while we're with them. We can do a Nehemiah prayer. You know, the king says, why are you sad? And Nehemiah, before he answers, he's praying, all right, before he opens his mouth. So we can do a quick Nehemiah prayer for our family. But the issue is more, are there things in our lives or is there a thing or two in our lives that we can stop and think tonight, all right, this affects community. 
community as small as my circle of friends, my family, my marriage relationship, my groups, class, church, whatever. And I just say, with that in mind, let's start with that tonight and say, all right, God, help me to, by your grace, to address that hindrance to community in my life and then help me to pray for those who are in my community who are not really part of the family of God. That's Father, I thank you that we are not only a part of your community and your family, but we have been told by Jesus and confirmed in your word that someday we will not only be in your family, but we will reign with Christ. It's hard enough to understand how you would even, in your grace, choose us to be in this family when we don't deserve it, but then to elevate us to that level of reigning with Christ and enjoying all the pleasures of God for all eternity is beyond our understanding. And yet, Lord, don't let us be content with just sitting back and saying, I'm in, life is good, I move on. Help us to see where we still need to change and how we still need to pray. May humility and the fact that you do it and only you can do it lead us to the humble resolve to pray and to pattern our faith by your grace. We ask in Christ's name.